0: Saddle up, folks. It's another glorious day in God's neighborhood. (sighs) The sun is out. The birds are singing. I have my coffee. I have my Bible. All is well in the kingdom of God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, Oh, Amen. Ah, glory. Welcome. Greetings and salutations. I hope everybody's having a fabuloso day. Let me get my screen set up over here. And we got to reload this page. There we are. All right. I apologize for being late this morning. It was one of those things where I hit the snooze alarm. And then on I hit the snooze alarm again. And Then I accidentally turned off the snooze alarm and kept on sleeping. I apologize. But I'm here. Better late than never. We're going to be getting into 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. So let's jump to it. Let's go. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Itinerant speakers back then, uh, the speakers that would travel from town to town, charging large amounts of money to be heard, they would bring with them letters of recommendation from people of importance in order to prove their worth, their speakers, and uh, to prove that they were worth the money that you were giving them. That was a common practice. Paul was saying that he that the letter of recommendation that he has is the Corinthian church. The fact that they have turned from a life of hedonism towards the living god is proof of the validity of his ministry your a letter from christ the result of our ministry in the ancient world a letter of recommendation was an important tool for the itinerant speaker the conversion of the corinthians is his clearest commendation they cannot question the validity of his apostleship without questioning the validity of their conversion in, a, in essence, if they're going to say Paul wasn't really an apostle, then they're in essence saying that the work he did there wasn't valid and that the results achieved by his work there in Corinth wasn't really valid, which would mean they weren't really converted. The church there could not turn their back on Paul, really without turning their back on God. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Think of the new life that the Holy Spirit birthed in the Corinthians lives via Paul's ministry. The law didn't generate that new life. The law did not bring about the conversions. The law did not produce the miracles and the signs. All of this was generated by the Spirit via Paul's ministry, which he was assigned by Jesus himself. Um, There's glory in the law, and we're going to talk about that in a second. I mean, anything that comes from the hand of God has glory attached to it. And the law came from God. It was given by God to Moses at Mount Sinai. There's glory attached to it. But the purpose of the law, at which Paul has taught in Romans, and in, in fact, every letter he's written, the purpose of the law was not to bring about conversion. The, you can't follow the law and become a believer. It doesn't work that way. The law as a teacher, the law should bring you to your knees where you ask God for forgiveness and deliverance and mercy and grace. The purpose of the law is not to bring new life. The purpose of the law is to highlight the deadness of the life that you are now in. And then grace enters the scene. So the new life that the Corinthians have enjoyed have not come from what the Judaizers might say from obedience to the law. In fact, the things that happened in Corinth happened in spite of the fact that they weren't circumcised, that they weren't law, uh, that they weren't giving uh, obeisance to the law or the Torah. The law brings you to your knees Grace enters the scene and you're converted. That's what Paul's reminding them of here. The new life the Holy Spirit birthed in them did not come from the law. It was generated by the Spirit and might I add, through Paul's ministry, which was given to him by Jesus. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, now he's talking about Judaism here, if, and the Judaizers who would attack Paul saying he wasn't a true Jew. He had no qualifications to preach a new relationship with Jehovah. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? He's comparing old covenant, new covenant. Anything that God does has glory attached to it. It comes from God. How can it not? There was glory attached to the law. It was delivered to Israel through supernatural means. Moses and Israel were delivered from Egypt through supernatural means, through the miracles, the signs, the wonders, passing through the Red Sea. And then God approaches uh, Moses on the mountaintop, miraculously gives him the 10 laws, the 10 commandments. Moses comes down, brings the law with him. And from that moment forward, Israel as a nation were known as followers of Jehovah and followers of the law. There was glory attached to that. But the purpose of the law was to draw people, like I've said, draw people to their knees, not to give justification. You can't. Jesus said when he was questioned about following the law, he said, look, you don't understand the law. When it says, thou shalt not kill, you know, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've broken that law. Even though you haven't picked up a knife and actually killed him, if you're angry with him in your heart, you've broken that commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Even if you haven't physically stolen something, if you've coveted and wished you had it, and were jealous of your brother or your sister because of something they had, you're breaking that law, coveting, stealing. So the law's purpose was never to bring you into the presence of God. The law's purpose was to show you the perfect character of God and how you could not achieve that. And you have to fall to your knees and ask for forgiveness and grace and mercy. So the glory of what comes through Jesus is far greater than that because that Jesus accomplished that which the law could not. He gives us a way to the throne of God. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplated the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Whew, that. Mm. In order to become more Christ-like in our thoughts and deeds, should be our goal, right? We need to spend time contemplating on him. That's what it says here, right? Now, the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, think about that word, Stay. I'll come back to that word in a minute. Contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. As we walk with God, as we walk with God and draw closer to him, we will become more like him. Do you think it's any mystery how a man and a woman, when they're married, for years and years and years, the longer they're married, the more like each other they become. My wife and I—we got married. There couldn't have been two more polar opposite people in the world. We loved each other, but we were two frustrating individuals to each other sometimes. I am a huge dreamer, and I—I I didn't care much about money. I was very careless with money. Um, And I was always reaching for the clouds. And my wife very much has her feet planted on solid planet Earth and is very good with money, handling money, keeping track of money. And we frustrated each other to no end in many ways as we were when we first got married. But now, almost 46 years later, um, we're more like each other and we're holding even closer the same values when it comes to money or when it comes to ministry um, values. We're becoming more and more like each other. You see me, you can see my wife. You see my wife, you see me. What my wife says, it's the same things I say now. We're becoming very much alike. And it comes from spending time with each other, from taking time to learn how to love each other, Love isn't just an emotion. Love is an act. It's a verb. And I have been learning how to love my wife for almost 46 years. And her, me. When we walk with Christ, and we actually focus on developing that relationship, you will become more like Christ. It's going to happen. It doesn't just happen. You just don't get saved and then, sit back in your laurels and wait for stuff to happen. If that's the pattern, I would ask you to question whether or not you're really saved. When I fell in love with my wife, I pursued her. When I fell in love with God, I pursued Him. I want to be like Him. I want His approval. I want to feel his sense of joy in my accomplishments. Same way with my wife. When I fell in love with her, I pursued her. I want her to approve of me. I want her to be proud of me. I want her to feel joy at my accomplishments. So in my marriage, I've I've researched how to please my wife not been perfect not been great sometimes I've failed miserably but I never quit trying to get her approval never quit trying to earn her trust and her love and her adoration it's the same way with God I want his approval so what do I do I pursue him I spend time with him I speak with him God's written me letters, which I read. That's called the Bible. I speak with him all the time. It's called prayer. Here, Paul says, and we all, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image. That's what he's talking about. So, in closing, I would like us to look at Psalms 1, the first part of Psalm 1, because this, Psalm 1 talks about that. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is the process. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. You know, the word meditate and contemplate have a lot of the same meaning. In here, in the Old Testament, meditate, one of the meanings of this word is to talk aloud to yourself about something. I'm a verbal person when it comes to solving problems. I like to talk my way through problems. And it took my wife a lot of years to realize that I'm not making incredible uh, proclamations, but that I'm talk- when I'm talking my way through a problem or talking my way through any kind of a puzzle. And I talk to myself about it, and that's how I solve it. Well, blessed is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who talks to himself about it day and night. I've discovered that in doing these devotionals, it's the heart of this verse. What I'm doing right now, talking about what I've read, applying it to my life, talking about the possibilities of what the scripture might mean in regards to how I live my life. I'm meditating on it. I'm talking to myself aloud about it. I'm thinking with my mouth open. That's the bu- that's the byline of this devotional series. Join me as I think with my mouth open. I'm meditating. And that person will be like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. As I meditate, contemplate on the word of God, which reveals Jesus to me, As I pursue the word, as I pursue the Lord, and think on him, contemplate on him. What does Paul say up here? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. My goal is to become an old man, that just bleeds Jesus everywhere he goes. Have you ever met somebody like that? An old missionary? Someone who's spent their entire life serving God and they're getting towards the end of their life and they are absolutely the sweetest, most loving, godliest man or woman that you've ever met. That's my goal to become that. My goal to become that, my path to becoming that is here contemplating the Lord's glory, meditating on his word. Hmm. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. That's a good word for today. And with that, I think I will shut it down. Here's my coffee. I'm Paige. And we've just had a great time in the Bible. I am out of here.